64, and uh, I'm looking forward tonight to going down to the beach, and you're going to see about 25 or 30 or so people uh, who've trusted Jesus as their Savior, follow the Lord in believers' baptism, and I think we should be there to se- celebrate with them the decision they've made to trust Christ. We'll have a great time uh, after the baptism. It'll be a good time and a good place, the beach, to hang around and just enjoy one another's company, and maybe you're here today. If you're here today, say Amen. Now, maybe, for those of you that are here today, in your heart you're thinking, you know, I don't think there's been a time in my life where I've had believer's baptism. Believer's baptism, that's when someone trusts Jesus as their Savior after that decision. They follow the Lord, and and it's a great, great testimony. And I often tell people when they're thinking about a decision, pray about it. You need to pray about it. When it comes to baptism, we don't need to pray about it. The Lord was so crystal clear. He said, this is what I want those who've trusted me to do. And so this is your opportunity. I can't think of a better time than now. I can't think of a better place than the beach. And uh, so we're going to have a great time. I hope all of you will come out and just enjoy the evening. Maybe we'll get a sunset together, and uh, uh, it's going to be fantastic. Next Sunday, I wanted to let you know this. I'm going to be starting a new teaching series, and it's called The Church Alive. The Church Alive. And uh, if there's anything that I want as a pastor, it's to have a church that is alive. We don't want to be a dead church that's just kind of stuck in formalism and tradition and where people aren't coming to know Jesus and people aren't growing. We, we don't want to be a dead church. And if what I read is correct, 80% of the churches in America right now are plateaued or, or in decline. We want to be a living church. But we also don't want to be a church that's filled with hype and there's a lot of enthusiasm, but it's... It's man-generated. It's not authentic. We want to make sure that we're a church that is alive. And that means we're a church where God the Spirit is working. And by the way, God the Spirit dwells within believers. And so it's a church where all of us are are showing the fruits of the Spirit and we're living out the joy that we have in Jesus. And it's going to be an encouraging series, The Church Alive, that starts next week. And today uh, I'm finishing this brief little interlude of a series that I interjected into this time of the year that we're calling Falling Into Place. And uh, with about 20 or so years of pastoring, I've noticed this time of the year is very important. Uh, it's, it's a great time of year, but it's a time we need to focus on. And so uh, we talked about falling into place, getting our life ordered for the fall season. And initially we talked about how to have a well-ordered schedule. We talked about the importance of having margin in our lives and living by a schedule and living according to God's plan. And, and uh, I enjoyed sharing that with you. Last week we talked with school getting started. We talked about how we can lead our children or anyone else for that matter to success. And we talked about just the value of being the influence that God would have us to be. And it was interesting, the words we studied from the Bible were written by the Apostle Paul, who as far as we know was not a father, but he said, you know, if you want to be a good leader, it's kind of like being a good parent, and and those principles are applicable to all, all of our lives. Today I want to bring a message that I believe is a very, very important message, and I've got to tell you right up front, my favorite way to teach the Bible is to go through a book of the Bible or a series of verses, and and this message today will be a little bit more pastoring than just preaching. It'll be me having learned some things and having observed the the cycle of a calendar year in the life of a church, and I want to bring a truth today that I think is relevant to this moment and it's relevant to every person in this room. As I've shared, I believe there are two most key months in a calendar year, January, We're all excited just getting started. It's a great time to make fresh decisions, and and I encourage people to do that. And and, uh, then I think of September. We come through the end of the summer, and it's kind of a time to get started again, to get get going again. And and, uh, so this is a great moment to make sure that we're on track 
in our lives. And, and again, September's a great time for this because we're coming out of a season where most of us have gotten out of our routine a little bit. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's important that we take times to rest and, and uh, uh, times to recreate and recreate. And, and so most of us have enjoyed the longer days the summer brings. And that gives us more social opportunities. We've had times, many of us, to get away on a vacation. And, and so the routine has been disrupted a bit. That's fine and well. But as we jump back into the season, we find the perfect moment to take a personal inventory. And if necessary, to make mid-course adjustments. And I have found that people that do the best in life, they're not somehow perfect, they haven't attained the status of perfection, but they're willing to be introspective periodically and to then make the adjustments in life that will lead us to where it is that we believe God would have us to go. And I believe this is a season like that. And as I said, this message is going to be quite different today, so let me give you a little of the context by sharing something a bit personal to let you know uh, where we're going today and where it is that I'm coming from today. As, as most of you know, I'm a pastor. I, I get to be the teaching pastor here at Coastline. I'm grateful for that. I love serving in this capacity. I told you that last week, and I do believe I'm doing what God wants me to do, and there's a fulfillment and satisfaction in that. And serving as a pastor means that a lot of my life is focused on leadership. In fact, even the term pastor, uh, it's synonymous with the word shepherd. The idea for a pastor is that, is that uh, we're the flock of God, and as an under-shepherd, I'm doing my best as part of that flock, but as the shepherd and under-shepherd to say, hey, let's follow the Lord, and I, I want to do my best as a leader to lead our church in the way in which we know from the Bible that God would have us to go. And uh, that's a big part of, of what I do. And, and in addition to seeking to be the leader God would have me to be, I desperately want to do everything I can to help you to be the leader that God wants you to be. And so we're working together. I want to be the leader God would have me to be. And, and then I want to be available to help and to teach and do all that I can to help you to be the leader that God would have you to be. For more than 20 years, I've taught and preached on the value of leadership. Leadership in our homes. Leadership on the job. Leadership in our community. Leadership within the context of a church. I've hosted leadership retreats and leadership luncheons and leadership workshops. Each Friday, I teach our staff a leadership lesson. Each month, I, I teach our deacons a leadership lesson. It's just a big part of what I do. And as challenging as it can be, and it is, to consistently prepare messages and lessons that I pray will be a help to you, it's even more challenging to actually lead. So a lot of my time is spent preparing and studying and writing messages and lessons that I desperately desire to be helpful for you. There's a challenge there, but then there's another challenge of when personally I, I actually have to lead. Now, at the risk of, of uh, offending everybody here today, you guys aren't always the easiest to lead. <laughs> I've had talks with God, and I'm like, God, is it me or is it them? It's them, isn't it? You know, and and uh, leading a church is not always an easy thing. I'm not griping today. Give me a minute. I'm going somewhere. I think even in the day in which we're living, everybody's hypersensitive, and, and uh, I've got to evaluate every single joke. I'll think but maybe one person might get offended here. And so uh, I'm always thinking, Lord, I, I need to lead these people, and, and at times it's challenging. Hundreds of personalities, and I'm dealing with people in different stages of life and different stages of spiritual growth and, and maturity. Uh, I, I'm often... Uh, amused by how different we all are. Everyone, of course, is free to have their own opinion, and you all have one. 
It's not uncommon on the same Sunday to have people come to me and say, it's freezing in there. What do you want to do, hang meat in there? Come on, let's get the heaters going. And someone else will come and say, it is so hot in there, you've got to turn the air down. And, and uh, the irony in that is I don't even know how to work our thermostats. I've never one time turned the air on. I've been both cold and hot in this room, and I, I uh, don't know how to solve that problem. People on any given Sunday will come to me and say, it was a little too quiet today, I couldn't hear. And others will come to me and say, it's way too loud in here, you need to turn it down. And uh, the irony there is I wouldn't have any idea how to turn our microphones on. And, and so everybody has an opinion, and of course, we're all free to express it, and so many of you do so often, and uh, so that's a blessing. So it's challenging preparing and it's challenging sharing leadership lessons that can be applied to a diverse group. It's challenging leading people of different ages and different stages. But there's another leadership challenge that I've identified as the one that I've personally struggled with the most. As someone who thinks of leadership just about all of the time, um, I think I've identified the area that gives me more trouble than any other. I think I'm the one that's the hardest for me to lead out of every person in the world. Me. I was thinking on this and I was going back in my mind's eye some of the biggest blunders I've made in life. Thinking of dumb financial decisions and relational faux pas and times where my emotions got away from me and I was trying to think, who could I blame so that I would then be a victim and I would be abdicated of any sense of responsibility? And it dawned on me, in all of the big failures like that in my life, the one common thread in all of them is I was there. I was there. I was a part of it. I was in the middle of it. And although your story today would be different than mine, I'm guessing many of you, if you were being honest, you'd say, you know, Pastor, there are times I struggle with me too. There are times when I don't do as good as I know. There are times where I sense I'm a little off track and, and I know how and why to get back, but I'm a little hesitant. And, and I think that all of you can relate. Again, your story's different than mine, but I think we all know, all of us in life, we want to do what is needed to be done, what God would have us to do. We want to help those around us, but many times we struggle with leading ourselves, ourselves. And that means that if we're going to seize this strategic season as the reset moment that it can be, we're going to need to spend some time being really honest to discern, where am I in life? Where do I need to go? And how am I going to get there? And so I want to spend some time today bringing a message on what I believe is maybe one of the most underemphasized aspects of leadership there is. I want to talk about what I'll just refer to today as personal leadership. Leadership in our own lives, leading our lives well. And I want to invest this study to help us to better understand some principles that can help us to live up to our potential in Jesus Christ. It's all of him. It's all of him. So I'm talking about getting out of his way, if you would, so he can, he can take us where he wants us to go. Most often, as I teach and preach, as I said, we'll go through a passage, a series of verses. And today's message, a bit different. Again, I'm seeking to do a little more pastoring today than just preaching and teaching. And so we're going to look at just one verse. And if you're able, I'd like to invite you to join me in standing as we read this verse together this morning. Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24. And uh, I'm going to read verse 15. The Bible says, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. 
whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, I want you to go back near the beginning of verse 15. and Near the beginning, we read these words, Choose you this day whom ye will serve. Father, we're very grateful that you're a God of love, a God that helps us and builds us and guides us and directs us. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us be very sensitive to your leading. Uh, Help us to never be so self-satisfied in the course of our lives that we kind of lose that tender heart towards you. So God, help us to let the Bible today serve as a mirror into which we can look that will help us to see those areas where maybe a mid-course adjustment is needed in our lives. Thank you again for this day and each person here, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. About 15 weeks or so ago, our church came together for a historic event, and we called that event the Heart for the House Banquet. Our church gathered together, and we talked about some incredible opportunities we have moving into the future. I'd love to talk about all those again right now, but that's not exactly the purpose of this. But as we entered into that evening, there was a character in Scripture that I thought would serve as a bit of inspiration to us, someone whose life was used mightily of God. And and so I took the brief moments I had that night, really only about 10 minutes. It was a unique service, and and, uh, I shared about the life of Joshua. And it is Joshua that we read of speaking in this book of the Bible that we call Joshua. And what we learned of Joshua was that he was a man who was born into a life of a servant. He was living in Egypt with the Jewish people, and they were captives to the Egyptians. And God, in his grace, rose up a man by the name of Moses who went in and through a series of miraculous events, God used the leadership of Moses to liberate the people of Israel. For about 40 years, Joshua served Moses as his minister. And the word minister just means servant. Joshua did whatever Moses needed to have done. And and he was a faithful servant for those 40 years. When Moses died in 1273 B.C., Joshua was directed by God to become the leader of God's people. For the first seven years of his life as a leader in this way, he was a warrior. He was fighting and God used him. He defeated 31 different kings and he got much wealth and land and possessions for the people of God. He was a fierce warrior and he was an inspiring leader. After seven years on the battlefield, he spent the next seven years of his leadership dividing the land among the tribes of Israel and among the families within the tribes. It was a difficult task, and it showed more of a diplomatic side to his leadership. And and Joshua, along with those he served, they, they were used of God to change the world. And although Joshua's life is really what I believe to be one of the greatest examples of leadership that we could ever study... So much of what he did is an example for us. Uh, Although he was a fantastic leader of people, it may be that the greatest single statement on on self-leadership, of personal leadership, was found in the text that we read together a moment ago. We find Joshua here no longer as a young man. Not as a middle-aged man, maybe in the prime of life where his energy and his knowledge kind of, kind of collide. We find him here as an old man with a lifetime of experience behind him. And he's calling on these people, the people of God, he's calling on them to make a decision that would lead to a direction 
that would lead them to God's desired destination. He wasn't saying any longer, follow me, I'll be around, just go where I go. He was saying in a sense, hey, the end of the road has come for me, I will soon die, I'm a very old man. And what you need to do is make a decision that will set in your life a direction that will lead you to the desired destination that God has for you. God's destiny for you. As I focused on this verse with this backdrop in mind, I made some observations that I found personally helpful and I pray will be an encouragement to you as well today. If you have your notes nearby, you may want to jot down the first thought. Number one, personal leadership is a decision that is made, not a skill that is developed. Now listen again to what Joshua said. He said, choose you this day whom ye will serve now obviously i'm not against developing skills in life that can be very helpful i've always got a few books going and i love opportunities to uh, receive teaching and instruction i want to be growing uh, all of the time that's good but i want you to see that personal leadership really boils to a decision that we make in terms of who it is that we're going to follow with our lives and who it is that we're going to serve with our lives and Joshua was calling these people to make a commitment to passionately follow the Lord. And a commitment to serve God implies that we're dying to a life of self and selfishness. And we're saying, God, ultimately what I want with my life is for your life to come within so that you can work in me and then work through me. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior in Matthew chapter 16, he said this, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. Jesus said, let me give you a lesson on discipleship. Discipleship 101. You've got to deny yourself. You've got to take up your cross, which is an instrument of death. And he said, you've got to follow me. There's no other way. There's no shortcut. Uh, you're not half in, half out. Jesus said, let me tell you what discipleship is. It's becoming a fully devoted follower of mine. And Jesus put it in terms like this. It comes down to a decision on your part. Am I going to commit to a life that follows the Lord? And I want to be very clear today. I'm not seeking in any way to bring a message that will help us to kind of manage our flesh. That's not what Jesus says we're to do with it. He says we're to deny it. I'm, I'm not talking today about techniques to help you live your best life now. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about yielding our lives to God and finding our best in Him and through Him. You see, the Apostle Paul wrote this in Philippians 2 and verse 13. He said, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Paul said, when you make a commitment, a decision to be a follower of God, as you yield your life to him, as you deny yourself, he says, what you're going to find is God's going to work in you both to will. In other words, he gives you the desire for that which he would have you to do. And then he helps you to do his will. And it's ultimately pleasing to him. And I love that Joshua here said, choose you this day, this day. Now, when he made that statement, he was speaking of that day. This morning, as I read that statement, I'm speaking of this day. And I hope tomorrow when you wake up, this sermon will be on your mind and you'll then be thinking of that day. You see, ultimately, a life of devotion and commitment to the Lord, it comes down to a daily decision. Lord, I want to live for you. I want to follow you. Each day, we're to give our lives to the Lord in that way. The Apostle Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, I die daily. That was a loaded statement, but ultimately what he was saying is, hey, I make a decision every day of my life, 
Every day I say, God, Paul is dead in a sense, and I'm alive in Christ. I'm giving myself to you every day. It's a wonderful thing to do. I think of a prayer I once read. The prayer said, Dear Lord, so far today I've done really well. I haven't gossiped. I haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or overindulgent. And I'm thankful for that. But God, in a few minutes I'm going to be getting out of bed. And from then on, I'm really going to need your help. Maybe you're like me today. And you're grateful for a God of grace and a God of mercy. And you're grateful that he's always working on us. But you have a profound sense that you don't want to be self-satisfied. You want to continue to grow in the Lord. And, and this is a wonderful time to say, God, help me to be assured of this commission, uh, this uh, decision. It's wonderful at a point in time to say, God, I'm all yours. But this matter of life, it's a daily journey. Be wonderful to use this season as a time to say, God, thanks for the great summer you've given me. Thanks for the reprieve from the routine, for the time off, the time with friends. But Lord, as I jump back into this fall season and kind of head downhill to the conclusion of this year, Lord, help me to make sure that I am fully devoted to you. Personal leadership is a decision that is made. It's not necessarily a skill that's developed. Here's the second thought I'll share with you today. Personal leadership values faith over feelings. Faith over feelings. Now, as Joshua's words continue here, let's read them together. As, as he goes on, he said this, Whether the gods which your fathers served, which were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. So Joshua was saying, hey, you need to make a choice today who it is you're going to serve, who you're going to follow, uh, what, what your life is going to be about, obviously calling them to be followers of God. And, and he said, and let me give you uh, uh, some options here. He, he said, you know, there are the Amorites and there are their gods. And the Amorites, we know, were a fierce fighting people. They were frightening in their ferocity and Joshua understood that times would come when the pressure would mount and, and the people could be tempted in the moment of pressure to acquiesce to the Amorites, to seek to appease them, to condescend to them, and, and maybe to bring in some of their philosophy, their ideas, and even some of their faith system into their lives. Maybe to garner favor with them. And friends, I want you to know today we're all going to have times in life when pressure will come and it'll bring out feelings. And that's a normal response to pressure. But these feelings, when they come, if we're not careful, they'll push to the forefront. And what we need to do in those moments is to understand we have feelings, and God gave us those, but they need to be subdued to a faith that we value more than just those feelings. It's so important that we do that. Now, a choice was required. And it would have to be rooted in their value of the Lord, of His promises, and their faith in them. And people of faith have been called to this value-based decision since the beginning. I think of the prophet Elijah in 1 Kings 18 and verse 22. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? I'm going to read on, but let me bring that into modern day language. The, the prophet of God comes to the people and he said, Listen, how long are you going to try and play the middle of the road on this issue? As Jesus said, some are hot and some are cold, but he said, you know, lukewarm is a problem. And the prophet of God is coming, and he said, how long are you guys going to try and just uh, placate everybody and stay in the middle here? He said this, if the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. 
And the people answered him, not a word. That's what middle-of-the-road people do. I'll play it safe. I'm just going to be quiet. And the prophet of God said, listen, if God's God, you need to follow him. If God's not God, then follow Baal. Uh, but, but you need to make a decision. And friends, I'll tell you today what causes people to turn from faith to a life that is directed and dictated by feelings is the thought in a moment of pressure that we would find an immediate reprieve if we just did what our feelings led us to do. What we're doing is looking for a shortcut. It's uncomfortable. I don't like this season I'm in. I don't like the way I feel. And so my feelings tell me if I make this change, I'll get a reprieve from the pressure I'm facing. But I'm telling you today that your feelings are no different than my feelings. We all have them, but they make poor guides in life. I frequently feel like doing something that's not right. I'm telling you today that feelings will lead you in the course of your life to, to go for the immediate rather than the ultimate. And we get that immediate reprieve, but we're surrendering that ultimate thing that God would have done in our lives. None of us really like this truth, but we all know it's a fact. And friends, when our values are anchored to a faith instead of feelings, we will have consistency and we can make great decisions even in moments of great stress. For example, if I value my health, I'll be able to deal with my feelings for ice cream. And I have strong feelings for ice cream. We had some friends over a few weeks ago. We brought a bunch of ice cream in. And when it was done, they left. And a lot of the ice cream was left. And I said, Lisa, you've got to get that out of the house. You know? How do you handle temptation? I flee from temptation, all right? Because when it's in the freezer, it calls, Steve, <laughs> I know how you feel for me. <laughs> man, it calls me. And if I'm not careful, man, I'll sit there. And after a while, those feelings get fired up. And I'll go somewhere I don't want to go. Do something I don't really want to do. Because in that moment, my feelings are like, oh, no, this is going to be absolutely fantastic. And friends, if I value God and his word, I will find my joy in life, not in following my heart, but in following his heart. I'll say, God, help my decisions to be based on values that are anchored to your Word And friends, it's worth noting that if you hope to have longevity and consistency in terms of your leadership personally, your credibility to influence others comes from that consistent set of values that are outlined in the Word of God. And as we learn to live as God would have us in this way, it will build a life that is worthy of uh, following. That leads us to the final thought I'll share with you this morning. Personal leadership is the key to productive leadership. Now, when we think of leadership, we're often thinking, how can I get something done? How can I lead a, a group or a team or an entity from where they are to where it is they want to go? And today I said, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about making sure we're leading our own lives well. But I want you to know that there's a byproduct from a life that is being led well. It's that you become an inspiration to others. And you're going to find that, that a personal leadership is the key to a productive leadership. I love the way Joshua here, again, is an old man. He concludes this power verse by saying this but as for me and my house we will serve the Lord that was a man who had made a decision that was a man who'd made a decision based on the value he placed in the faithfulness of God and his faith in God 
And his personal leadership allowed him then to give a testimony about his family. As Joshua led himself well, his family followed with him. It's interesting, the writer of Hebrews wrote of those leading in the local church, Hebrews 13 and verse 7, he said, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. And it's, it's interesting to me that the writer of Hebrews did not say, whose leadership follow. He said, follow their faith. Because as their faith is rooted in God, they'll be pursuing God. And as you follow someone who's pursuing God as a spiritual leader, they're not leading you unto themselves. Ultimately, they're leading you to the Lord. Friends, I want you to know the greatest leaders for God are those who lead in their home, they lead in their church, and all around. But it starts with a leadership journey that condescends to God. It says, God, I want to live by faith. Do what I do for you. I, I think of even the Apostle Paul. He said, be ye followers of me. You say, what an arrogant guy. What is he doing, building some kind of cult? No, he finished that statement by saying this. Even as I also am of Christ. His point was that the leadership he was giving to others was rooted in the fact that he was a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Productive leadership. It's the outgrowth of personal leadership. Now, all of us are leaders in one way or another, and there are times in a moment where we'll need to say, hey, I need you to do something. Just do what I say. I understand there are moments when we'll say, hey, I need, I need you to do something. But I want you to know as a leader, it's much better when you don't have to say, do what I say. You can say, do as I do. Do as I do. Follow me as I follow the Lord. That's how Jesus led. Peter wrote of this in 1 Peter 2. He said, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Jesus had much to say, but it was all backed up by how he lived. And Peter said, Jesus left an example for us. And friends, for those of us who know God, this means that our life leads every bit as much as our instruction. The template of our lives must precede the teaching of our lips and we will gain a joy in leadership and influence when we are following the Lord knowing he's the one leading us and influencing us it works that way well you imagine if you would you're talking to a little boy and trying to make conversation it's hard sometimes to get kids to talk so you start asking him questions and you ask that little boy what do you want to be when you grow up and he says, I want to be just like my dad. Just like my dad. And uh, you think and imagine in response to that statement, you say, well, your dad must be a superb leader. That boy looked back at you like, what? Huh? Your, your dad, he, he, must, he must be a knowledgeable leader. He must have read a lot of books on leadership. He probably has gone to some seminars. If you want to be just like your dad, what a fantastic leader he must be. That boy, look at you all confused. And, and he might say something like, you know, I don't really know what you're talking about, but I want to be like my dad because he's nice to my mom. And he takes care of us. And he helps me when I need help, and he's quick to forgive when I get out of line. He's a good dad. We'd say that boy's naive. And I would say, no, there's that naive in all of us, that naivete that, that responds 
And that's the kind of life we need to lead. Lord, each morning we make a decision and say, God, my life is yours. And I want what I know to be true about you, my faith, to be that which gives me the direction. And God, I only hope to touch the lives of those around me as it's a result of my life that has been touched by you. By you. The greatest leadership comes from a life that is well-led personally. And when you think of the Christian life, we come to understand that we don't love God because God demanded us to love us. That's not it at all. We love Him because of the love He has shown to us. In 1 John 4, the Bible says we love God because He first loved us. You see, His life led the way in His leadership. Leo Tolstoy famously made this statement. He said, everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one thinks of changing themselves. When we began, I shared that I spend a lot of time thinking and teaching and doing my best to share what I pray will be helpful thoughts on leading in the course of our lives, and I'm going to continue to do that. But would you imagine with me today how much more powerful the leadership in our lives would be if instead of thinking, how could I make everybody do what I want them to do? If we went to the Lord and said, God, I want to make sure I'm doing everything you want me to do. God, there are some changes that need to take place. Maybe some of those changes are in your home. Maybe it's on your job. Maybe it's tied to your children in one way or another. Uh, uh, There are changes to be made, no doubt about it. But wouldn't it be great if it's as fired up as we get to change other people if we said, God, I have that same passion for you to change me. I want all of this to start in an abiding relationship with you. I would imagine today that if we had a heart like that, it'd make us a little more gracious, a little more merciful, nonetheless fired up to get something done with our lives, but we'd have a greater sense of, of awareness. And I would imagine that the greatest days in our leadership to others and our influence for Christ in the lives of others, the greatest days would be in our future. When we come to that place where we say, God, you call the shots. I want to live based on values derived from your word. God, help me to be the godly example that you would have me to be. And friends, I'm saying that as we live that way, a continuous change will come to our lives. It won't be just one failed swoop where all of a sudden we're entirely different. He has a way of just working on us in the course of our lives. He'll bring experiences into our paths. When I started as a pastor, I'd, I'd never even been to a funeral. I, I went to one and was in the lobby. I did not learn how to help others in their time of grief until I had to do some grieving myself. I mean, I could go through the motions to the best of my ability, you see, but God would bring experiences my way that could kind of tenderize my heart so that I could help others. And, and similarly, God is kind enough in the course of our lives to bring occasions if people experiences where we can continue to grow and learn. And if we'll have this heart that says, God, of all the leadership I think about, I want to make sure that I'm leading my life for you as you work in me 
and through me. When change comes to your life, you'll see that God will use you to help others to change for Him as well. Our Father, we're thankful today for really just a bit of a reminder as we finish off this summer season, jump into the fall season. God, I pray that you'd really open our hearts to the value of an authentic life before you. A life that is based on principle, the truth of your word, and, and not just emotions. Lord, we've, we've got a world full of people today. We just, at the drop of a hat, our emotions get away from us. And then it's anger and outrage and things that are said that aren't thought through. And, and God, we live in a world that's, that's a mess because everybody wants to change everybody else. And seldom do we look in the mirror of your word and say, God, what is it in my life that you need to work on now? Help us, God. How grateful we are that it's in your love you come to us to do this work. Open our hearts to it, we pray in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed this morning. And um, maybe you're here and you'd say, Pastor, as you went through that message, uh, there were some truths in there that I think were good, to me, uh, good for me to hear. There were some statements made, verses read, whatever it may be. Perhaps you're here today and you say, you know, Pastor, this idea of leading my own life well for the Lord. Maybe you're here today and say, there was something good in that for me. Are there those by the testimony? Just to quickly raise hand. Pastor, there was something in that study. 